Hi, guys. Can we get house lights on? I like to see, especially Leo. Where is he at? Is he so pretty? Um, so, yeah, last weekend or this weekend was the canoe trip. It was lots of fun. Um, the best part is uh, Ted brought arts and crafts, and we had our arts and crafts time with Ted. He brought his string and, uh, and bracelet connectors. You know, we all, I think friendship bracelets was a term that came up once. Um, I'm only saying that to bother Ted. Like, that's, there's no other reason. Uh, <laughs> they give me a microphone, so I get to do fun things. All right, if you have your Bible, we are in Matthew chapter 5, or else it will be up on the screen. And so we're going to read uh, together this morning verses 1 through 10, all right? Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, last week we began this series on the Beatitudes. Blessed, right, we're calling it. Uh, This is a five-week series. We're going to talk about some of the Beatitudes. And and what the Beatitudes are, they are uh, like the introductory material for the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is essentially uh, probably the world's most famous sermon. Uh, It's this uh, radical, revolutionary teaching by Jesus that really calls us to live in a way that is just countercultural to to everything. It just rubs everything completely against grain. It's like opposite. Uh, and this is, this is the way Jesus uh, is calling us to live. And, and so because of that, like one of the ways we kind of describe this kingdom life that, that Jesus is calling us to uh, is, uh, and it's a term that we thought about naming this series, the upside down kingdom, right? Because it's so different. It's so countercultural. It's so opposite to how we instinctively live. Uh, and, and we can see that opposition. We can see that difference. Like if, we, if you were to take your Bible and open up to Matthew chapter 5 and look at all the places, you know, where Jesus says, blessed are, and then compare that, like get on Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and compare that to like hashtag blessed, you'd see a difference. Like, for example, like Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, you get on Twitter, it says, hey, I just got a new promotion. Hashtag blessed. Comes with a great big raise. Hashtag blessed blessed. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. You got on Twitter, and this is one of them. This is a real one. It says, me, my grandma, and my mama. My mama. Uh, We're all living in the same city. First time this has happened in 25 years. Hashtag blessed. Uh, I didn't find one that said, I'm sitting here at my mom's funeral. I'm in deep mourning. My life feels like it's over. Hashtag blessed. I didn't find one like that. Well, actually, I did find one that says, Every, everything is terrible, no one is happy, hashtag blessed. So that one's close. That, that's close. 
uh, I don't, I'd like to know what that guy was going through. Uh, so anyway, uh, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Uh, here's one on Twitter. It says, women lie, men lie, but these belts don't. Hashtag winning team. Hashtag undisputed. Hashtag blessed. Uh, that's the real picture. That's, I cut off her face just because I didn't know if I should show strangers' faces. But uh, anyway. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. This one was interesting. It's kind of strange, but... I picked it because it says, I've watched so many iconic movies in the theaters. Hashtag blessed. It's weird. I mean, it's nice. Like, thanks for sharing. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Uh, Twitter says, make rifles great again. Hashtag blessed. Now, uh, some of these are, are genuine reasons to express gratitude. You know, it's great. You're living in the same city as your mom, your mama and your grandma. That's great. The, so the, I point these out not to say these people on Twitter are wrong and these are the right ones. No, just to say, look how different they are. Like the things that Jesus said, you know, blessed are versus like the, the times when we say, man, I just feel so blessed. Uh, they're different. They're different, right? Uh, in, in fact, like the whole Sermon on the Mount, it's so different. It's so difficult. It's so opposite to how we think and how we act. It, it's, it's difficult, difficult for us. And so uh, maybe it's hard to understand because it goes against uh, some of our logic and the way we naturally think. And so we try to explain it. And we add, you know, explanations, we add exemptions, we add, add hypotheticals, we, we add loopholes maybe and, uh, and exemptions and all these things. And, and by, by the time we're finished explaining the, the various teachings that we find throughout the Sermon on the Mount, well, it's less difficult, but somehow the, the potency is gone. Uh, instead of it feeling like this radical upside-down kingdom, what it feels like, at least to me sometimes, is the kingdom slightly askew. You know, the kingdom in italics. The, the kingdom, you know, it's different enough, but still similar uh, and, and easy enough to be palatable. Uh, sometimes it can become, you know, less than similar to what we would find uh, at the end of like an after-school special, if they still have those things. Or uh, lessons you'd get from your high school guidance counselor or from a fortune cookie. And they're different and, and they're maybe true enough, but they don't feel revolutionary like some of the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. We can understand them, but the potency is gone. They, they feel kind of beige. Uh, and, and when that happens, like the real weight of Jesus' words begins to, to diminish. And I think part of the whole purpose, the point of this Sermon on the Mount uh, is, yes, to encourage us, but I, I think it's really to, to challenge us and to push against our natural thoughts and ideas about things. It's, uh, it, and so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes and all this, he presents with, uh, to us a very high standard of righteousness. Uh, he gives us uh, this calling to this really radical and crazy love for other people. And, and all of it seems to be uh, founded upon this really true and deep trust in God. And so anyway, with all of that said, uh, today we're going to look at the third beatitude. And, and so I hope that as we talk about it, it's going to rub us all the wrong way a little bit. Because it should. They should. All right, so the third beatitude, what does it say? It says, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek. 
for they will inherit the earth. Um, instead of earth, it could also read land. So if you hear me saying land and earth interchangeably, that's why. Uh, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. And so my very first question when I was looking at this, or at least the very first question I'm going to pretend, I mean, there's lots of questions, but the very first question that we're going to talk about is who are the meek? I think that's important, like if they're blessed. Another good question would be what does blessed mean, but we're not going to talk about that today. Who are the meek? Is Jesus simply saying, uh, you know, those that are living a gentle, quiet, humble life, you know, good job to you. Uh, that's part of it. But I, I really, truly think there's more going on. Uh, see, the Greek word, everybody loves when a preacher starts a sentence with, with that. The Greek word that we use to translate into meek is a word that says praus. Fun to say, praus. Uh, and yes, on one aspect of it, it does mean gentle, mild, meek, humble, those sorts of things. Uh, and all those things, we can get behind those ideas. Like we, we understand them as positive Christian values and virtues, and, and we can get behind that. But, but another part of the spectrum of the meaning of that word, praus, you have to say it like that, praus, uh, is the idea of oppressed, captive, Tamed. Now, as Christians, we can get behind this idea of being humble. We've been taught that. But as, as Americans, we can't, it's oppressed. Like, we, we have a hard time. We, we're, it's, we can't get behind that. Like, last week, as a nation, we collectively blew things up for fun, right? To, to celebrate the opposite of oppression. Right? Uh, to, to remind the world that, hey, we like to blow things up for fun. And so if you threaten our freedom, we might just blow you up for fun too. Right? Like, we, this was what we did as a nation like a week ago. And so this idea of being oppressed, uh, we're like, eh, I don't know about that. But it's within the range of meaning of that word, praus. So you have to imagine the scene. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. He, he's getting more popular. The crowds are following him. And he sits down on this hillside, and these Jewish people around him are gathered to hear what this guy has to say. And, and these people, they were God's chosen people. They have been taught and told their whole life they are God's chosen people. And not only that, that God had promised them this land that they were living in. That they would rule this land, that they would be fruitful and multiply in this land, that this land is their land. But the problem is, while at one time they were a great nation, and they had control and dominion over this land, this outside power came along. Just to simplify the history of it, we'll just say it was the Romans. I mean, we're skipping a bunch, but just to simplify it, it was the Romans. And they came and they subdued this people. They captivated, cap, made captive, that's good. They made captive this people. They oppressed this people. They, maybe you could even say tamed this people. Just like, you know, you watch like an old cowboy show, right? You see the, the wild horses running out in the field. The, the cowboys go, they subdue, they grab this horse and they go and they break it. And they make it their horse to do their bidding and to be beneficial to them. 
wild horse is no longer free. It's been tamed. It's been controlled. It's been subdued. It's been oppressed. And these are the Jewish people. They're sitting there, and they're listening to Jesus. They are the ones that have been made meek. And so what I think is happening here, I don't, I don't think Jesus is simply saying, if you're humble, good job, though that's part of the, the message, that's part of the lesson. I think what Jesus is doing when he, when he said those words, blessed are the meek. I, I think he's doing exactly what he said he would do. Uh, in, in another part of the Bible, it's Luke chapter 4 or 5. Uh, Jesus says, you know, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor and, and freedom to the captives and deliverance to the oppressed. You know, he's like, this is my mission. This is what I've come to do, proclaiming good news to the oppressed people of God. Uh, I think what's happening here is, is also tied into Mary and, and her song that she did. You know, in Luke chapter 1, she found out she was pregnant with the baby Jesus. And, and one of the things that she, she sings in that song is that God has brought down the rulers from their thrones and he is going to lift up the humble. It's this reversal of powers in the world. It's this pretty revolutionary, extreme thing. And so, well, well just imagine if you were living in that day. You're a Jewish person. You've been oppressed, brought down. You, maybe you have lots of reasons to complain about the Romans. Maybe lots of reasons to complain about life. Maybe your trust in God is starting to wane and fade and feel like life is unfair. And then Jesus shows up. He starts healing people and crowds are forming around him. Something exciting, something big is happening. And, and so you go and you check him out on this mountainside one day, surrounded by all these people. And, and you could just tell there's something big happening. And he looks out across the crowd right at you because how else would he imagine it? We're the most important person there. So Jesus is looking right at us. And he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. He says, I've got really good news for you. You're oppressed now. This might be how you hear it. But you will inherit the land. Now, if I was there that day, that would be one of the, the parts in the message where I would want to say, yes, amen. Preach a brother. I agree. Hallelujah. Uh, to me, that, that's the sort of preaching that might be similar to like if you go to a political rally and, and everybody gets all excited around some sort of issue, some sort of cause, some sort of candidate, and, and it's this big thing happened. Blessed are the oppressed. You will inherit this land. That's the kind of thing that would make me think, you know, I, I got to get home. I got to grab my sons. I got to look around my house and see what sort of farming equipment I can turn into weapons because we are going to go and take back this land. Get rid of the Romans. We're meek now, but we're going to inherit the land so we don't have to be meek anymore. That's what maybe I would be thinking if I was there that day. And so I would listen. Maybe this Jesus guy, maybe he's got a plan. Maybe he's got a strategy. Maybe he's got some more to add to this thing. How are we going to inherit this land, Jesus? And so I wait and... Some of the parts I start to tune out because he, st he starts talking about like morality and sin and that sort of thing. And I don't want to hear about that. So I, I, I tune that out. I just wait, like, how are we going to run off Rome? And then Jesus gets to this, this part in the message and he says, hey, you know, the next time one of those Roman soldiers comes over to you and demands that you carry their pack for them for a mile, which was required by law, as I'm told, you know, if the Roman soldier 
asks you to carry it, you have to carry it, that's the law, but only you have to carry it for a mile. Once a mile's up, boom, that's it. So the next time this happens, the Roman soldier demands that you carry it, this is what you do, and, you, and you're waiting, you're like, all right, here it is. This, is, this must be Jesus' plan of you know, how we can overthrow Rome. I must stand up to this guy, right? Assert my rights. Tell him no. I was just, no, 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 that's not, that's not what you do. Go ahead and carry it for that mile. All right, so I, I get what you're thinking, Jesus. So we carry that mile into a, a deep, dark woods, and when no one else is around, when no one's looking, when no one's suspecting, then I get that guy, right? I get him. And we're going to take down Rome one soldier at a time. Is that the plan? No, Jesus says, go ahead and carry it, and once that mile's up, just go ahead, keep on carrying it for him. And, and maybe as you're carrying it, you know, you pull out your phone, and you show them pictures of your family, your kids. Invite him to dinner. Find out what his name is. Just walk with them. Well, Jesus, that, that doesn't make sense because don't you understand this guy is my enemy? Like, he's not my friend. He's not my neighbor. Why would I be showing him pictures of my family? I know, you've probably heard you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but you know, I'm going to tell you, love this guy. Love this guy. What do you, Jesus, don't you know that this guy has been persecuting me and, and mistreating me and all these things? Well, yeah, I know that. So I'll tell you what. This is what you do. This guy, he's a soldier. His line of work, probably super dangerous. So pray for him. And his wife's probably at home worried all the time, so pray for her too. You know, pray that God would bless this guy. Jesus, that doesn't make sense. I mean, one time this guy, he walked right up to me, and he just slapped me right across the face. I see. I see the problem. So the next time that happens, what you have to do is this. Let him hit you again. Uh, see, Jesus, I don't understand any of that because a second ago you are saying we're going to inherit the land and now you're saying love my enemy and go the second mile and turn the other cheek and all these things. And, and, and it sounds to me like what you're saying is you want me to continue to be the meek. Yeah, that's right. And trust me, if you do that, you inherit the land. But won't people take advantage of me? How, can, how do we get victory in that? So here's, here's the next question. Why didn't Jesus help the Jewish people overthrow the Roman people? And establish Israel as a great nation again. Uh, there's probably a lot of different ways to answer that. You know, some people say, well, Jesus wasn't very political. He wasn't really concerned about that sort of thing. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. People say that. Other people say, you know, Jesus was very political. And he was always saying all these, you know, political things. And, and then some people, they, I've, I've made this point before. I said, you know, the, the system of government then, back in Rome, was a lot different than what we have now. You know, like now we can participate in, in our government. We can vote and we can do all these things. And there's all these forms. And that's true. And they didn't have that back then. But I just, I can't imagine, you know, God sitting up in heaven be like, man, if only my people had the right to vote. Then we could really make a difference. I guess we'll just have to wait for America to come and they'll fix everything for us. I, I just, see, Jesus could have overthrown the Romans. He could have, just even on just a natural level. 
Like, he had the charisma, he had the following, like thousands of people. He could have done something to expel Rome from Israel. Uh, and then you, you take that and you bring it on to the supernatural level. Like, at one time, Jesus said that he could call down 10,000 legions of angels if he wanted to. But he doesn't do that. Why? See, I think, I think Jesus knew something. I think Jesus knew that the true oppressing force of the Jewish people was not the Roman people. I think Jesus knew that, well, just like it says in Ephesians chapter 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And maybe Jesus knew that when one nation overthrows another nation, very often the oppressed become the oppressors, and that really doesn't fix anything. It just kind of rearranges the power structure a little bit. Uh, maybe Jesus knew that when, when one nation exerts force over another nation, there's often violence and death and bloodshed, and, and you know, there's hatred that gets stirred up in people's hearts and gets cemented in people's hearts. And, and Jesus says that if you hate someone, it's just like you're murdering them. And so, yeah, he could have led this great battle against the Romans. And he could have won. But in the process, there would have been more sin, more death, more destruction, more violence, more hatred, more all of that. And in the end, I think, if that were to happen, it would have done more damage to the kingdom of God than good. For God's people to inherit the land. We don't overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good. For God's people to inherit the land, it takes radical trust in God. That says, you know, living, that, that is willing to live a lifestyle where we would rather come out last, we would, where we would rather lose power, where we would rather appear weak or maybe even be weak than to live in a way that goes against how Christ has called us to live. We would rather lose than act in a way that's unloving to someone else. And it takes trust in God to live that way because we can't see how we will win by doing that. And so... The temptation comes to, to take shortcuts and to find other ways to grab onto control and to grab onto power now rather than trusting God. Because you don't always come out on top if you're living a life of self-sacrifice and self-denial and humility. If you, if you follow Jesus carrying his cross to his death, like that doesn't make sense, logically speaking. Like we're going to conquer the enemy by marching to our death. It takes a lot of faith to believe that. I mean, I, I don't understand how that works, but Jesus says it works. Well, I, I do understand how, well, let's pick up our weapons and let's go to war and let's kill more evil people than they kill of us. And then if we kill enough evil people, then of course all the evil in the world will be gone because oh, I mean, that's what worked in Noah's time, right? Like we just got rid of all the evil people and there's no more evil in the world. <laughs> 
So we might be tempted to take shortcuts because it doesn't make sense how losing can be winning. Jesus was tempted uh, to take a shortcut in all this. Right before this sermon that he preaches in Matthew chapter 5, he's in the wilderness, the devil's there, and this is what it says. This is Matthew chapter uh, 4, verse 8. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. All this I will give. So Jesus had this choice. Bow to the enemy and get control and power now or walk the way of the humble, humiliated, meek life and trust God for the long game. That was Jesus' choice. And so think about the realms of power and control and things in our lives. Like just, here's a safe one. This, it's always good to talk about politics, so let's do that. This is, nothing could go wrong, right? Like think about the, just think about either individually or collectively, like the church, the Christian people, how we have done in the realm of politics regarding these ideas. If you were to ask me, which I don't know if you are or not, but I have a microphone, we've not done a very good job collectively. I don't know about individually, but collectively, we, we've not. We, we very often turn to mistreating others and name-calling, and, uh, you know, we have really high standards of behavior for the guys we don't like, and if they misstep, we, we are morally outraged, but the guys that we like, or if they have the right letter after their name, like, they can do whatever they want, and we will find a way to justify it. And I'm not making this, so this is, like... We say things, well, you know, David wasn't perfect, and he was this great man, and he led Israel, and, and so why does whoever have to be perfect? But this other person, if they do anything wrong, what do we do? We're outraged. They must resign, right? Like, we're hypocrites, is what I'm trying to say, collectively, not anybody in this room. We all, everybody in here is perfect, okay? We, we don't do a very good job of that. We name call, we scheme, we plot, and, and we do all of these things in order to, to cling on to or gain some sort of political power because somewhere along the line we've come convinced that that's the answer. And it's never been the answer, but we're convinced that it is. And so we, we sometimes resort to living in ways that dishonor God in order to get the election result that we want rather than simply trust God with the long game. We'd rather call names and backstab and all those New topic. What about at work? There's something going on, you know, there's a disagreement, there's power struggles, there's maybe there's a promotion up. Like, what, what do we do? How do we act? How do we behave in those situations? Do we start to gossip and, and spin things to try to position up our, ourselves up and over our, our coworkers because we think we should get the promotion rather than them? Or, uh, or are we maybe willing to, are we willing to help the guy get the promotion that we want, and so we give them some advice and some tips on how to really ace the interview, and are we bowing down to the enemy to gain control now, or do we trust God with the long game? What about a church? Preacher keeps talking about politics, and we don't like it. <laughs> talking for too long, too little, we don't like the songs, we don't like the lighting, we don't like whatever. There's something that is not going our way, which happens because... Things don't always go our way. But how do we respond to that? 
Do we threaten to leave and take our money with us? Like, what do we do? Do we write long, nasty emails and call names and bow to the enemy with his virtues, with his values, in order to get control now or live self-sacrificial, self-denial, meek life, trusting God with the long game? What about at home? And we're going we're gonna to wrap up here in just a few what about at home? Your kid's doing something they don't, you don't like. Your, your spouse is doing something you don't like. You want to maintain control of the situation. And, and some, you know, we resort to yelling and screaming. You know, we get in a fight with the spouse. And so we start bringing up all the mistakes that they used to do. And, and we really know the right things to say to really stick it to them, to, to really put ourselves on top of the argument. We resort to, to force or to violence or any of these things to, to, to get control. You know, it's weird that sometimes in order to gain control, we kind of lose control of ourselves. But I guess that's a different sermon. Um, do we do those things? bow to the value systems of the enemy in order to get control now or trust God in the long game. And in, in the various realms of influence in our lives, are we looking for ways to get the upper hand? Are we seeking revenge? Are we seeking retaliation? Seeking ways to restore whatever perceived power balances that there are? What are we willing to do to gain or to maintain power or control? And are we acting in a way that says we're afraid to look weak? We're afraid to lose power, we're afraid to lose control, we're afraid. Or are we trusting God with the long game? Blessed are the meek, Jesus says. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I'm going to close with one question. We'll end with this song here. Um, last question. Are we compromising the virtues of the kingdom of God while we claw for power or are we trusting God with the long game? I'm going to, let's have a short prayer together before we sing. It's the Lord's Prayer, found also within the, the Sermon on the Mount. Lord God, I just thank you for who you are. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.
Uh, she shares a birthday with Lila, their birthday buddies. So Lila, happy birthday to you. It was Lila's 90th last weekend. So we want to celebrate Lila. We love you, Lila. Um, I have two quick announcements for you, and then Pastor TJ is going to close us in a word of prayer. 
share, but I want to let you guys know a couple weeks ago, we had um, our kind of big giveaway for those of you who are in attendance um, for our movie night. It's happening this Tuesday, Thor Love and Thunder. Just want to give you instructions. We're not doing tickets for it. You guys signed up in the back. So we have that list. It completely sold out. So we have your names. We have your count. Jason Darling, who is the largest man in this church, okay? He is going to be our bouncer at the door. Apple Cinema in Saco. Can you guys say Saco? Apple Cinema Saco, 6.30. Please get there early, okay? We'll be there like at 6 o'clock at the theater. Come on in. Go right up to the theater. Say you're with the church group. They'll let you know where to go. Jason will be outside the door. I'll be outside the door. The DS, um, Paul McPherson will probably be there outside the door as well to greet you. And we'll check you off the list and you can come in. It'll be open seating and you can find a seat. Uh, for all of our teenagers who are going, I, I want to encourage you guys, teens, to sit up in the front couple rows. That'll help some of the older folks be able to sit um, a little bit further back and they won't be cranking their necks like this uh, because we, again, are completely sold out. Again, 6.30 is a show. Come a little bit early. Apple Cinema, Saco, Thor, Love and Thunder. We're, we'd love to see you guys there. Second announcement I have for you guys, Philadelphia Mission Trip. Awesome news. We have our final count. We have 18 who are going to the Philadelphia Mission Trip, so let's celebrate that. I think our count right now is about 10 adults, about eight of our students are going to be going. And so here's a big way that you can help us. I just want to let you know, if you weren't able to go, but you really want to support, two big ways. Number one is prayer. I'm going to be outside in the foyer. We've got Leo gave me, Leo's heading up our trip. We've got prayer cards. Kids from Philadelphia, from the inner city have written out prayer requests. Take one of those cards from me. Be praying for these kids. Be praying for our team. They're going to be doing some building work. They're going to be doing a vacation Bible school for the kids out there in that week of August, August 7th through 12th, your prayers would be greatly appreciated. The second way you can help is you can help with some financial support for this team. Some of the teens are still trying to raise money to be able to go. The cost of this trip is about $500. They're still trying to raise a couple hundred dollars to be able to go. You can write a check. You can put some, some money in the back. I've got some envelopes, say Philadelphia Mission. You can donate and help a teenager to be able to go on this trip. That would be awesome. The other big expense that happened was from when we booked this trip about a year ago, gas prices almost doubled since then, okay? Rental cars, we were trying to rent cars, we looked at prices a year ago, almost tripled for getting a rental car. So those were unexpected expenses. By helping out a little bit financially, you can really help the team and kind of ease some of that pressure. So if you'd like to give, I'll be standing in the back and you can help with the Philadelphia mission trip by doing that. Give a check, give some cash, you can even go online in our giving. It says Philadelphia missions, you can do it online if you like as well. That's a great way you can bless the team. I'll see you guys in the back. Love you all. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. We'll close today. Lord, I just thank you again for today. Thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for building your church. Lord, I just pray that day in and day out, Lord, your presence, your spirit would be with us and we would be the salt and the light to the world that you have called us to be. Lord, that we would grow closer to you, closer to one another. Lord, I just pray for each family represented here. I pray blessings upon their homes, Lord. And Lord, as we go off into our jobs and just the places that we exist, God, may your grace and favor be upon us. Leave you all 
with this benediction from Romans. It's a little bit long. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Go in peace. Swear